Welcome, everyone, to the Grow Podcast. I'm Brian Crow, and I'm joined today with Elizabeth Burns Thompson, EBT. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Uh, we're here to talk public policy today and all things public policy. So, you ready? Let's jump right in. You are the first full time vice president of external affairs at Landis and uh, have recently taken on that role. Can you talk us through? Why, if you think that uh, your position is um, at a place right now where Landis needs a full-time person to do this kind of work, and and how do you think about the new job and and everything you're doing so far? Sure, and uh, I'm excited to be here and, and join the Landis team here just a couple months ago. But I think maybe we'll get started to tell the folks a little bit about myself and then kind of what we're going to build out here moving forward. Uh, but I'm no stranger uh, to Landis. I've actually uh, had a long career in, in agricultural to, agriculture to date. Iowa farm kid. My folks still farm in eastern Iowa, a little bit outside of the Landis footprint right now, but quickly found my way and have collaborated with our, our, our predecessor companies and cooperatives before this too. Um, actually started my career in, in the trade association space, so I've spent some time doing public policy for uh, many organizations that our, our folks are familiar with. The Farm Bureau, uh, spent a handful of years with the Iowa Corn Growers Association, um, and then actually REG, uh, which many of us will know, uh, kind of part of our, our past with West Central, uh, before spending a, a few years in, in the carbon space, the wild, wild west of carbon, I should say, before joining the team here back in December. So excited to bring together that kind of diverse background from a lot of different facets of, of public policy into what we're looking to build out here. So I think really what that looks like is cultivating a voice um, and then, you know, taking that forward to do something with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's one thing for, for me to go out and, and have meetings and meet with legislators or, or local elected officials. But if I'm successful in this role, all of you that are listening are out there doing that as well. And that's really how we're going to be most effective. So I'm sure we're going to get into to the nuts and bolts of, mm -hmm. of what that looks like and, and how to be effective in, in building out this program. But at a high level, what I aspire to do is, is re really develop a, a culture of continuous dialogue and feedback. So we'll get into what some of those tools and tactics are that, that we're working on developing, but making sure that we're not just waiting until, you know, one singular survey each year to figure out feedback. We want continuous feedback mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily you know, from, from one specific audience either. We want feedback from all of the critical partners. And to me, and, and I think internally what that looks like is obviously our farmers, right? Those that we're doing business with each and every day. Also our employees. Um, that's a critical audience that we, we collaborate with as well. And then thirdly, our communities. And that can be communities both where we have physical brick and mortar assets, but also those communities and localities where we're doing a lot of our business. So looking to the future and development there. So I encapsulated a lot into that. I'm sure you've got more that oh, we'll get in the, into the weeds on. So. so you said cultivating a voice, which I really like. And you talked about some examples of why that's important. How do you how do you think about that in terms of, you know, somebody right now is at home watching or listening to this? How can they be a part of that cultivated voice? And how are you thinking about as we look to employees and farmers and, and all other stakeholders? When you think about cultivating a voice, how do, what does that really mean to you? I think a lot of it is garnering information from the conversations that are already being had. 
So for example, I know a lot of our, our farmers that are out doing business with our you know account managers, our location leads, um, you know, just our folks that are out in the field day-to-day basis, making sure that that feedback isn't stopping specifically with that individual and it's trickling all the way back to myself because those conversations are much broader than just pricing on inputs or timing of applications. It's current events. It's things that are, are challenges for their operation, challenges for their communities. And um, by making sure that that feedback continues to make its way back to you know, myself, we can garner better pol- public policy positions and help ensure also that those those stories and those perspectives are making their way into the hearts and minds of our lawmakers and our decision makers. I think what else is also very important is, is a lot of folks think about public policy engagement at, at a singular level. And we think a lot about the the shiny dome that, that sits here a couple blocks away from, from our headquarters here in Des Moines. But engagement in policy development is much broader than that. In fact, uh, another pillar that I, I think I didn't mention uh, when we did kind of the broader overview was talking about that we really want to have a voice or help our farmers and all those key constituencies have a voice in every leg or or step of that public policy or political ladder. And that means engaging with city councils, your county boards of supervisors, economic development. Those are just as important as our members of Congress that sit in D.C. So it is important that you know, issues are talked about at all different layers and that we're engaging at all different layers. And so, you know, some of those things may mean traveling to have meetings in those those jurisdictions like Des Moines or our nation's capital. And some of them may mean, you know, hosting more farm tours for those individuals and bringing it back home. So it, it takes a lot of different angles. And I think the, the other way that, that is important is, is repetition and really a, a shotgun approach, right? So it's not necessarily taking a singular message and targeting it in a specific spot. It's let's talk about a, a challenge or an opportunity, right, in a broad sense, right? Because there also may be potentially collaboration opportunities that we didn't think about at a, at a local level that build off of a program that was initiated at a state level that has its roots in something that was facilitated because of federal action. And so those things very much marry together. Public policy really does, um, if done well, uh, fit together like puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. And if we do it very well, all of the different branches of the government really kind of complement each other. There's not as much overlaps. So what I hear you saying is really by the time an issue or a bill might come up for consideration in the state or at the federal level, oftentimes it might even be too late to have a, a lot of impact on what's happening there. And and it's not just give us all the negative that's happening because we want to know how we can change the negative, which is an important part of it, but also hearing a lot about the positive as well so that we can advocate and support for the things that are working and make sure that uh, we're able to protect or align with how we protect the things we like, as well as to try and change the things we might not like so much. Is that, does that sound right? It's fair. And and actually, as you were talking through that, it, it kind of had a, an interesting uh, personal note for me. Um, part of my past, in addition to being a proud Iowa State Cyclone, uh, I also went on and did my law degree at Drake here in Des Moines. Um, and I had a lot of folks ask me, well, you know, why'd you go to law school? Because um, I had no desire to actually practice tr- law traditionally, mm-hmm. um, you know, go to the courtroom. My perspective was I watched ultimately what lawyers do, right, is is distinguish what does the law mean as it ap- applies to a certain set of facts, right? 
And I viewed it as if I could be part of the lawmaking process with an understanding of how ultimately laws would be challenged or applied down the road, you could you could better craft things up front. And I think it go- coincides much the same here. If we think about ultimately how something will be applied to a scenario or a set of facts or the day-to-day lives of our, our farming operations, our communities, right, we can better draft and craft that legislation up front. And that means being involved earlier on in the process, right? The mm-hmm. ideas, the explanation of the challenge or explanation, like I said, of an opportunity. I think, you know, we're not necessarily just problem solvers when you're coming to public policy. You can also be creating opportunities. And so I think, you know, looking at it through both of those lenses, there's some positivity when it comes to politics. I know that that's shocking mm-hmm. for some, but we do, we do have some of that today. And, and certainly all politics are local. Absolutely. And uh, the more local you get, Sometimes the more political things can become, you know, we think about all of the land dislocations where our farmers live and work and operate and and where Landis operates. What's some of the playbook look like for how, how we can better, you mentioned maybe some more farm tours, inviting folks in, you know, it's always, it's always the wrong time to ask for something when you actually need it. It's better to always have those relationships in place earlier. How do you see our farmers connecting more with policymakers, with influencers? How do you see that developing over time? It's really interesting you say that because I think there's a lot of corollaries between kind of the traditional sales model and the way that we do politics and we do politics well, right? And no one likes to have to do a cold call when it comes to sales. We'd prefer to have a relationship with someone before you're going to buy something from someone. And that is not more true than in rural America, right? Generally, there's a longstanding relationship, be it seed, implements, anything. You you know that salesman, you have that relationship before you do any business there. They want to know the why and the who before you get into the what. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly the same thing in politics or any type of policy. So taking the time to get to know your, and I say your because it's applicable everywhere, but your elected officials And that's your member of Congress, members of Congress, I should say, your members of the legislature and at the local level. Get to know the the county supervisor that represents you or, um, you know, if you're in the city, the city council members. um, Taking the time to just know who they are is a really good first step Um, and then developing a relationship with them. And that doesn't mean waiting to do that until you have something that's critically important or a critical issue get to know them as a person mm-hmm. and let them get to know you as a person. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's interesting to talk about because it's something that we do in every other walk of life. And it, it has a lot of corollaries to this. So we're going to work on facilitating more opportunities for that to take place for our folks. Um, and I say folks as in our, our farmers, our employees as well, um, connecting with community leaders, um, you know, facilitating that event, but also, you know, pre- presenting more opportunities for um, our our connected individuals to come and meet them also in the areas where those elect officials are doing business. So, um, you know, be that collaborating on more, uh, you know, town hall type events in 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 the districts and or bringing folks to um to Des Moines here. We do a, uh, we've historically done a legislative reception. We're going to do another one this year here uh, later in March. Um, I look forward to to building out more opportunities where potentially maybe we bring folks out to DC um, and visit and kind of see how, how the sausage is made, uh, for lack of a better word, on on federal policy and making sure that you're connecting at, at all different facets and at every side of the aisle too. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I've been a part of different 
fly-ins or drive-ins in the past where certainly the legislators are important as the elected officials, but then also some of the state departments or federal departments that monitor and, and often have funding to support a lot of the initiatives, um, you know, meeting with department heads of Department of Transportation or the DNR or the EPA or the USDA, you know, those kinds of relationships are important too. What, what kind of things do you hope to get when, when we have a legislative reception at Landis? Is it just targeting those legislators that represent areas where we have business? Or who do you hope to bring into that to, to make it a, a meaningful interaction? That's a great question. Um, and, and this is something that we've done in all, all of my kind of uh, professional careers, it's one thing to have that ongoing relationship with the individual that you vote for, right, at the end of the day, or, or may not have voted for, right, but they represent your district. <laughs> um, they have an accountability back to you. However, we know that if it, even for just your business practices, our influence and our impact is far beyond where we have either farmers and farms and or where we have physical infrastructure. Where we are doing business, right, where where some of the corn and soybeans eventually goes, our key marketplaces are, are far outside of, you know, the Missouri to Mississippi River. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that we're developing relationships with lawmakers outside of that physical footprint is also important. And, and honestly, it, it has some applicability even here in, in Iowa. There's a lot of folks that sit in Des Moines, that sit in Cedar Rapids, that sit in Council Bluffs. Think of some of our major metropolitans that don't have direct con connectivity back to a farm or any type of agricultural production. And so there's opportunities for us to bridge that urban rural divide that unfortunately has only gotten bigger in, especially in recent years. And I think we're well suited to be able to do that. Um, I think especially so we've got, you know, resources here in the Des Moines area to provide that connection. Um, but the way that that starts here in Iowa, we, we can replicate that in, in states around us as well, right? Uh, connecting with lawmakers in California or New York or, you know, the Chicago land area that, again, have that distance from production agriculture. And, and again, that starts with making connections and explaining who we are and what we do and how we do it and why we do it. Mm -hmm. And that's long before we're making any type of public policy asks. Mm -hmm. And if we're not winning in Iowa, it's really hard for us to win in other places as well, right? It, and so making sure that the message is resonating with urban populations in Iowa helps us to, to develop the, the, the game plan, the playbook for doing that in other places where we're trying to, to, to solve problems for audiences all across the country and the world. Exactly. And one of my, uh, as, as folks get to know me better, I, I, I love little bumper sticker statements. One of them that I have, have come to live by is perception is reality, even if it's not reality. Right. Um, and so, you know, if, if you are distanced from a farm, distanced from production agriculture, your perception of how things work is the reality that you live within mm -hmm. until you are, are, have an understanding otherwise. It's incumbent upon us to help those individuals have an understanding otherwise or have mm -hmm. a, a perspective of what actually happens out in the landscape, right? What actually happens on the farm? What actually happens at our, our facilities? And also what we're looking to the future of, because um, it's, I, I think, everyone shares that we're not just farming for the here and now, we're, we're farming for the future. We're, we're looking for the future of not only the farming operations, the future of Landis, the future of agriculture in the state and really across the, the broader Corn Belt. And so showcasing what we're trying to build towards, those shared values, those shared perspectives, that's, that's how you build relationships. And ultimately, that's how 
it presents a pathway then for conversations about maybe tougher public policy issues where there is some conflicts or differences of understanding or opinions. I think the more you talk with people in maybe urban markets about the technology that's being deployed, about the precision, about the the machinery and equipment, about all the the data and all the innovation that's happening in the space, I think it's really eye-opening for people that don't spend their day-to-day in agriculture. And so uh, giving them a taste of what's coming in the future, I think really helps build uh, that goodwill and that opportunity for how do we continue to build an industry that makes sense for farmers and also is achieving all the goals that, that we're looking to do. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it's also, you know, finding those, like I said, either shared values, similarities that, you know, we might live in, in, in different population centers uh, at the end of the day, but there's a lot of things that we can find that are similarities to build off of and, and, and develop the relationships. And a lot of what happens in policy starts with relationships and then you can get into substantive issues. Well, let's talk a bit about Iowa. So Iowa legislative session is happening right now. Um, what are some of the things, the big trends that you're following in terms of what's happening at the legislature and and how those things might affect uh, Landis and our farmers? Sure. So we are at a, a kind of a the, the first, what I'd say, third of the legislature at this point in time. Um, we have a unique process in Iowa. Uh, we call it the funnel. Um, and it helps ensure effectively that that topics or ideas begin to kind of winnow so that legislators can have a kind of a, a focused target of critical issues moving forward, right? Because there are hundreds of different of proposals and bills that start out the at the beginning of session. Um, one topic may have 50 different bills that are presented on it. And ultimately, you do need to winnow those down or, or combine ideas and, and edit and evolve and amend and things like that so that you end up with with something that, that ultimately can be discussed. We are having that initial kind of funnel. Um, depending on when this, this drops, uh, we may be right at or, or after that initial funnel date. Uh, we'll have another one of those uh, later in the spring where that'll winnow down even further. What those funnel deadlines ultimately mean is that a bill must have been considered and voted on in a committee of one of the chambers, i.e. a bill that originates in the Senate needs to have had a vote in a Senate committee in order for it to remain viable or survive the funnel or the same in the House. And then the second deadline, the second funnel in which that bill must have jumped the, the line and, and and been voted on by a committee in the other chamber. In terms of critical issues that are starting to, to kind of percolate or, or move forward, uh, we've seen a lot of discussion about education. A lot of the, the political priorities do originate largely out of the state of the state address. So the governor kind of presents a landscape of, of her priority issues going to the session. You also then get priorities from effectively the leaderships in each of the chambers, as well as some of the key agencies. So that that first week of session really is dedicated. We saw the state of the state address from the governor. You see addresses from each of the chamber leadership. You see from the judiciary, armed services and things like that, that, that set up kind of key priorities or needs for the state. Um, in addition to education, we've seen some tax conversations. Tax is unique because that's uh, what we call funnel proof. They can discuss tax issues um, at any point throughout the session. So I do anticipate that we'll see more conversations related to state income tax reforms. Foreign land ownership, specifically of ag land, has been a, a key topic. Uh, many folks may not realize I was actually known for having some of the most stringent uh, restrictions on ownership of agricultural land, uh, both from you know corporate ownership to foreign entities. 
piece. So uh, building off of what has already been kind of a nation leader in that space. Um, additionally, you know, we, we've seen conversations about kind of development projects, be it uh, the carbon pipeline projects and, and the steps associated with development of that. Um, I think a broader range infrastructure projects as it relates to energy rates and things like that, along with a plethora of things. Um, you know, on top of that, we, we set an election year. So it's a little bit of a shorter session this year in comparison to other years. So we'll see exactly when we get done, but it's generally about 100 days. And, you know, you, you started talking about all the different ideas and all the coalescing of ideas into different pathways and bills or what have you. What I've found over the years is sometimes preventing things from seeing the light of day is just as important as getting things passed. So, you know, can you talk about some of the the strategy that might go into how you're affecting that from a day-to-day perspective? Do you see yourself at the Capitol having those conversations, what we would might call lobbying different legislators on different topics? Do you think that that mostly is going to happen in the the off time between sessions? How do you think that and, and where do you see Landis making its imprint in either the state house through, you know, killing or supporting or, or promoting any number of different initiatives? Sure. So what I want us to be viewed as is problem solvers. So um, not necessarily there to to breathe life into or kill anything, but we want to collaborate and, and help solve problems and, um, and create opportunities for growth. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, yes, uh, we'll definitely do some lobbying. We'll do lobbying at state house. We're going to lobby at the federal level and get involved in some conversations out there too, be it farm bill and, and other critical issues that, that are important to our farmers and, and frankly, the viability and longevity of Landis as a whole too. But yes, I'd say there is, you mentioned the word kind of off period. There's, there's maybe an off time for, for the legislature, uh, but our engagement is never going to be either, you know, on switch or off switch. We should be engaging in some way, shape or form throughout the entirety of the year. Now that looks a little bit different by the nature of maybe where we fall in an election cycle too. So right now, you know, a a bulk of our time is going to be either up at the Capitol and or engaging with legislators when they're home on weekends, right? At those local town halls. That's a critically important time period, not just for us, but really for our farmers, our employees, our communities to, to, to be in the ears of those lawmakers, especially on the state legislature side, to express what's most important so that then, you know, on Mondays when they come back up to the Capitol, they have their kind of marching orders from their constituents about what they'd like to see or what they would not like to see. You know, looking broader scale at engagement, our 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 local level officials, our county officials, you know, those those are positions that don't necessarily have a session or a season associated with them. And the US Congress much the same, right? They may be in session for a handful of weeks and then, you know, take a what they call a recess, but they're in in constant information gathering mode, constantly talking about different proposals. So our engagement really isn't isn't going to turn on or off. One piece that I think uh, is important to, to talk about, though, is that point around elections. And that's really, I think, a lot of time where the, the partisan comes into play because we do have partisan-based elections. Um, but when you take a step back, in order to have a good lawmaker that can be in a position to take votes and, and, and instill good policy, that person has to generally be elected, right? There are a handful of positions that are appointed, but even appointments are at the subject of those folks that have been elected by the people. And so we do need to necessarily engage with folks during an election cycle in order to ensure that we are supporting those individuals 
that that support our policy positions or that support, you know, the, the stances that are important to our farmers and our communities. And so as part of that, we we, we do have a PAC. Um, we're looking at developing and, and growing that PAC and we'll do more engagement so that we can help support individuals um, at all different layers. Um, but that may also mean not necessarily just from a, a candidate you know, campaign perspective, but we'll be hosting candidates at, at facilities so that they can get a better understanding of who we are as Landis, who our farmers are, their, their perspectives throughout the campaign cycle. And so that we're not having to do all that introduction once they're already situated and seated. Once they're an elected official, we can hit the gas and start working on implementing good policy. And so um, that's what I'd like to see is that those 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 introductions, that that um, relationship development is done earlier mm-hmm. um, so that we can really get the ball rolling on on getting some things done, as people would like to say. <laughs> and that's and that's really helpful in terms of uh, how we're picking who is the beneficiary of that pack. Correct. And and, and maybe just talk a little bit about, um, you know, if we're putting some resources behind a candidate in one party or the other. It might not be all on uh, the Democratic side or it might not be all on the Republican side. It's probably going to be a mix of both depending mm-hmm. on who they are, where they are, what their issues are, and, and how much they support the same kind of things that that uh, we're interested in. But maybe talk a little bit about that and how that funding gets allocated and how those decisions are made. Sure, sure. So we're going to work on uh, not only growth of that, but also kind of additional parameters about, you know, how, what, when, and where. I don't think our PAC has been too terribly active to date, but I look at, I look forward to, to developing that further again, so that we can support our champions. So we can support the people that have really stepped up to the plate and, and, you know, step forward with the issues that are important to, to us and our farmers. We are a subject matter organization, right? We are looking for developing agricultural policy that provides for rural prosperity and longevity. And so that is something that's not necessarily a Republican issue, a Democratic issue, an independent issue. We are here to support individuals, whether you are red, green, blue, purple, purple or polka dotted is what I like to say. Um, we're not here for partisanship. We're here for the the policy. And so those that support the policies that are important to us are those that will stand behind. Now, we are also going to, along that same vein, do outreach to those individuals that maybe have not understood things our way and try to help them understand you know, where we're coming from and why things are certain, are important to us. And that's, like I said, to that, to that um, conversation we had earlier, outreaching to individuals that are, aren't necessarily within our physical footprint, our traditional footprint, outreaching to those individuals that are not, you know, traditionally of, of an ag background. That's how you, you begin to build, you know, allies and, and relationships more broadly. Cause at the end of the day, all of those individuals have a vote mm-hmm. on critical policy. Mm-hmm. Speaking of critical votes, um, we'll have a critical vote this November, a big, obviously uh, presidential cycle. Um, and, and maybe we'll just step aside <laughs> that and, and go beyond that to say, once that's done, there's a whole litany of different federal issues. Yep that our next president and, and Congress will need to address. One of the most critical ones is, is the Farm Bill. If you look into your crystal ball, how do you see that process really developing? And again, at the end, maybe touch on how Landis believes that 
we can be effective and, and, and effectual in that process? Sure. That is the million dollar question. And I'd say it's six of one, half a dozen the other as to whether or not we see a farm bill this year. I'm a natural born optimist, so I'd like to think it's going to happen. But looking at the amount of time that we have on the congressional calendar, I know we, we sit here recording this in February and to say that even in the first two weeks of February, that somehow there's not enough time left in in 2024 to do a bill this year sounds silly. And it's not necessarily that the farm bill isn't important to folks. And it's not necessarily that, you know, that people aren't paying attention to deadlines. It is a function of other topics that are also, you have to look at uh, the viability of whether something can get time we are also at the mercy of other topics, right? Um, and so there are other things like uh, the border, which garners a lot of conversation, immigration reforms and things along those lines. We also have to fund the government, right? Uh, a farm bill is great, but we've got to be able to have funding of those agencies in order to operate. And that is also something that Congress has really struggled to be able to do. It's been many years since we've been able to pass a budget in uh what we call regular order. Uh, those that have read some of the the rural matters write-ups that we've had here recently, you should know this because you've you've read about what that means. But looking at each of the functions of the of the budget in its individual nature, um, we haven't really been able to do that. So that's how we get these things called the the buses, right? The omnibuses, uh, where they partner all those bills together and pass them as one. Uh, it makes it more difficult for individual sectors to get. Uh, individual consideration the way that it would under, like I said, the regular order. So funding of the government is a huge thing. Um, If we continue down a pathway of continuing resolutions, I think that makes it even more difficult for us to do a a broader farm bill, at least this year. I think it's also, you know, we're operating under a a continuance of the current farm bill right now, right? So we, we, we missed the deadline already. I shouldn't say we, Congress missed the deadline already on the current farm bill. Do we get it done before September 30th, which is this new deadline? That would be very tight. I think there's optimism to continue conversations, but there's also at, at its fundamental nature, I think some some political differences of what is the priorities under that new bill. And I haven't quite seen from both of the the political leadership caucuses a whole lot of overlap in terms of that that direction forward. And so until we see a little bit more coalescing in that space, I, I'm not terribly optimistic that we see a farm bill this year. However, what I will say is I, I don't anticipate that the next farm bill to be too terribly novel or unique. I don't think that they were coming forward with like big, grandiose changes the way that we have in some of the farm bills of the past where they've completely changed out the, the Title I programs or completely overhauled kind of crop insurance or, or conservation programs some key themes that I do think that we will start to see is the conversation around climate, carbon, and conservation is not going away. What that looks like in terms of more intertwinedness to, and intertwinedness, I think I might've just made up a word, but that's okay. We'll roll with it. Um, but intertwining more of that into, be it crop insurance programs, compliance programs, things like that, availability of grant programs. I think that we'll see more of that. I think there's going to be potentially a renewed focus also on trade partners. You know, trade was a big topic during the most uh, recent administration. It's it's kind of waned under the current administration, but I think we're going to see increased as we've had continuous year after year of carry out, both in you know raw commodities as well as finished products. We've got to be doing market development on where those products go. So a renewed view on that. And, and you know, 
increased value-add development for, for products grown and manufactured here in the country. We've seen a little bit of that over recent years, but I think, you know, growth and what is what is maybe the next ethanol? What are the next sectors to develop? You know, where where does more agricultural focus go into potentially like sustainable aviation fuel? And, and again, what is that new kind of that bright, new, shiny thing that we begin to value add our commodities into? So there's a lot of moving pieces, but Congress is working on mm-hmm. these things. I think that's why it's also important for folks to take the time to one, get to know those individuals, go out and meet your member of Congress. They are back in the district almost every weekend. And I know they are in Iowa. They're very religious about that. Take the time to get to know those individuals. And then if given the opportunity, go out and, and visit DC and see kind of the complexity of the process. Because uh, I think it is eye-opening to understand just how many moving pieces and how complex the conversations have to be when you're trying to get, you know, 435 members of Congress, at least a majority of them in that case, on somewhat of the same page to, to move a bill to forward. To agree on anything. Really. Yes, to agree on anything. And we, we don't need them all, but we do need a majority in order to move something forward. You know, part of, I think, the beauty of our system is sometimes things are very slow and it it does create a little bit of knowing what's coming next because it is so difficult to ever get anything done. But at the same time, I know that can be very frustrating. And so it sounds like we're going to be kind of in the middle of these conversations, which I think is fantastic. I know it's you've only been on the, the job for two months now, but are there uh, a couple top few priorities for you that I know we've talked about a lot of them already, but just as we kind of wind down here, are there a couple, you know, two or three things you want people to take away from this talk and 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 ways that you will uh, be reaching out or engaging or, or plans for the future that you could talk about? Sure. Um, I guess the, the biggest thing is is stay engaged. Look for opportunities to not only educate yourself on current events, current issues, current topics. We're going to do our best to try to push out more information, the blogs, this podcast, our social media, physical mail, um, you know, everything but a passenger pigeon or whatnot, mm-hmm. or a messenger pigeon, I should say. But but we're going to do our best to try to push out more information. And from that, we want feedback. And I don't just say that just to make myself feel good. I, I want you to fill out those surveys and I want it to do more than just once. I, you know, I also have a general rule. I can't delete an email I never got. Mm-hmm. Can't, you know, so, so, be engaged, make your voice heard, both into to us here within Landis. And that doesn't necessarily just have to be me. Um, you know, make that known to the individuals that you're doing business with, those account managers, the folks you're talking with in your communities. Uh, so that can come back to me and, and we can be a better advocate for you when we hear from you. But I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. So help me know. <laughs> I think, I think too, I mean, just to touch, I mean, it's been amazing to me over my career when there's been an issue that uh, seemingly feels like uh, this thing is moving, there's nothing I can do to affect it, how few people it actually takes when, when, in, when in democracy people show up yep. and they go to a public meeting and they make their, their voices heard about a particular topic, how easy it is to change the direction that public officials are going because you know sometimes they're in a vacuum sitting and having these conversations. And then if if two or three people from town show up to the city council and say, ah, I don't really like this, it can, it can really change their thinking and, and, and re make them reevaluate what they're doing. So part of it's just showing up, right? Absolutely. If you show up, there's so much value in a democracy. People's voices really do matter. 
Absolutely. So maybe if if you if you took the time to put it on Facebook or Twitter, you have the time to actually, you know, send that same note <laughs> to your elected official and or send it to me so that we can we can work on it. But the personal touch, I think, is also something that goes a long way. It's it's one thing to copy and paste something off the Internet. It's another thing to tell the story about why, because at the end of the day, that's what drives activity is the why. Not necessarily the what, it's the why. So why is that particular issue important to you or your family or your operation? That's what any lawmaker or elected official wants to know or wants to hear because that's that's ultimately what what moves the needle and drives their activity. And you are very right that that it it's amazing, you know, what a personal touch and a personal outreach will do. Um, I've seen it both from from both sides as a, a, a lobbyist and, and someone looking to promote public policy, but also one of the many hats I've worn over the years is, is I had the benefit of being able to sit on a city council. Mm-hmm. And those individuals that showed up to the meeting to tell their personal story um, and or send me an email or give me a call about, hey, this is something that's really important to me, that moved right up to the top. And so whether that's the personal touch of an ask, but also I think, that's the personal touch of developing a relationship at the forefront, right? So knowing those individuals up front also would have gone a very long way too. So relationships matter, personal touch matters, involvement matters. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good place to stop. Um, it's been really interesting talking to you and learning about your approach to public policy and how uh, we can engage in the future. Uh, I think it'd be really valuable to keep, I know you do the rural matters and to, like you said, keep doing these uh, grow podcasts in the future and, and having more of these conversations. So thank you, Elizabeth. Absolutely. And thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you.